The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> and first pitch, crushing! Deep left field! This is Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up and welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. On Tuesday, March 29th, Frank Stample joined by Scott White. And we have a little something for everybody on today's show. ADP battles, prospects to stash, the latest news, notes, and spring updates, some injury updates as well, some unfortunate ones. We'll get to it. Some relief pitcher conversation as well. Uh, plus, we're going to announce who is in our 12-team head-to-head points listener league, which will be drafted this Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. I'll save that for a little bit later on. But Scott, we're going to talk about prospects later on. I wanted to start with the very top, the top of the top. And that is Bobby Witt Jr. Because I feel like we haven't talked about him in a while. And he's having a pretty damn strong spring. The ADP, 102.8 for Bobby Witt right now. He's going in the ninth round of 12-team leagues. So far in the spring, he's 8 for 18, 2 homers, 1 steal. Last year, 33 homers, 29 steals. What do you think, Scott? Would you actually pull the trigger and draft Bobby Witt yourself in the ninth round of 12-team leagues? Ninth round. I mean, look, it's it's... It's fine for him to be drafted that early. I I haven't drafted him yet. I'm trying to think of what I'm normally looking to do around the ninth round, and I don't know. I don't know. That, I don't know that there's something I'm normally looking to do. So, so maybe I need to consider him stronger. Yeah. I mean, at this point, you mentioned the spring stats, eight for eighteen, right? You said. Yep. He struck out once in eighteen at bats. Like he is doing everything right. Uh, you know, 18 at bat sample. You, know, you could put that caveat on anybody's numbers in this very short spring training, but like, there, it doesn't seem to be a question anymore. Will he be on the opening day roster? It's like he's 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 so decisively answered it that I fully expect him to be there from the beginning and going to pick up third base eligibility soon, which will be great. Oh yes, probably going to steal some bases. Yeah, I mean. Maybe I start, maybe, I don't know, we're doing a roto mock tomorrow, or today, I guess, depending on when you're listening. Maybe I'll try to make a play for for Bobby Witt in that one. See how it goes. All right. Uh, Yeah, Bobby Witt, he's going to gain third base eligibility, as you mentioned, Scott, and he's going right around Anthony Rendon. I mean, who would you rather have between those two? Two very different players, obviously, but. Yeah, I think Witt, I think Witt for the, Stolen bases, the fact I, I expect he'll provide more power than Anthony Rendon will. Now, if you're talking a points league context, maybe you got to give Rendon the edge there because of the plate discipline. But 
obviously you're not looking at points ADP. So that's a different situation altogether. All right. So we're going with Bobby Witt over Anthony Rendon in category leagues, but not yet in points leagues. Again, the ninth round. I, I mean, it's a close call. It's a closer call it there, than, I'd say, than in, than in the five by five leagues. I was going to save this for later too, Scott, but I was just doing a 15-team salary cap draft and there were all these fun prospects that were going later on and, and they were going for cheaper than what I thought they should. And it got me thinking, like, how many prospects can you actually leave a draft with in your lineup, right? Because you also have to factor in playing time, whether or not those players are actually going to be on the roster on opening day. So I wound up with O'Neal Cruz and like Alejandro Kirk, if you still consider him a prospect, but... I wanted other guys too. Like I wanted the Tigers I was looking at. I was looking at Joe Adele as well, but I didn't know like how many is too many. Do you have like a steadfast rule? Well, well, look, all the ones you mentioned, I, I guess, except O'Neill Cruz, I expect to be on the opening day roster. So, you know, that, that takes a lot of the pressure off. Obviously they have to perform and, and we've been let down by the performance of, of the top call-ups each of the last two years. On the whole, anyway, there have been some exceptions, players who have lived up to expectations, more or less. But I think I think 2022 is going to be a banner year for products uh, for prospects. I think we're still getting past the bottleneck that that developed during that short 2020 season when there was no minor league ball at all, and and obviously there wasn't a lot of games for for players to progress. You know, last year kind of became a, a catch up year. Uh, for for a lot of these guys, and we didn't see as many promotions as I thought we could. I, I'm, I was actually before the podcast working on a piece of the top ten prospect stashes, leaving off all the guys that I expect to make the major league roster. I was having a hard time narrowing it down to ten, you know, because <laughs> like it's there's so many guys on the verge of breaking through. Uh, so I, I get the temptation, and I'm normally you know 15 team league. You're saying. Especially in those deep leagues, I am I am all about filling up my bench with prospects with any form of upside, really. But especially prospects that I think are, are going to be up sooner than later. I, I think that's why I've struggled in uh, whenever I've played in, in in a league that uses the the NFBC website because one of the quirks of NFBC is there are no IL spots. Players get hurt, obviously, and if your bench is full of players that are unused or, or unusable in, in the immediate term. You know, normally if a player gets hurt, you can put them on an IL spot. You can pick up somebody else to replace them, but that's not the case in those NFBC leagues. So I've, I've had to kind of adjust my strategy regarding the stashing of prospects in, in that particular league. But otherwise, I'm all for it. All right. Yeah, look, it forces you to make decisions for sure when there's no IL. Obviously, anyone... Listening here, if you have the ability to add IL spots to your league, you should have at least two. But, you know, I think yeah. as many as four or five, the way that players are, are kind of frequently yeah. thrown on the IL now, I think that makes sense to do. And in, I agree, roto leagues, I'm, in roto leagues, I'm used to five. And, and actually, you know, the two big 15 team roto leagues I play in NF, not NFBC, but TGFBI, which is hosted by NFBC, and then uh, Tout Wars, they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. There are no limit to the number of players you can stash in an IL spot in Tout Wars, which is awesome. I definitely prefer that <laughs> to none. But yeah, if you're looking for middle ground, I think in a Roto League, five is perfectly acceptable. 
Yeah, I also think it's going to be a bounce back year for prospects, Scott. I mean, a big reason you mentioned no minors in 2020. So coming off of that season last year, entering 2021, it was it was definitely a weird year and a very weird transition. And we heard multiple prospects say that and coaches that this was the hardest jump from triple A to the majors than it's ever been. So I, I think, you know, that that will get a little bit better this upcoming season. Let's get into some ADP battles. Lots of people either drafting this week or next which definitely makes sense. Wait to draft as late as you possibly can because things are still happening. Injuries are taking place. And, you know, we're learning about prospect promotions and demotions. So uh, wait to draft if you can. Uh, So these are some of the tough calls that you'll have to make. And let's start in the third round, Scott, with two big name outfielders here. Cedric Mullins with an ADP of 33.4 and Teoscar Hernandez, who's going just one pick later, 34.2 is the ADP there. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez finished as the second Overall outfielder last season, the eighth overall player in Roto Leagues. He averaged 3.4 fantasy points per game. He was awesome. 32 homers, 12 steals. But so was Cedric Mullins, the only 30-30 player in baseball last season. He finished as the sixth best outfielder, the 20th overall player. Scott, who would you rather have, Cedric Mullins or Teoscar Hernandez? I'm sure I rank Cedric Mullins ahead, and, and the easy differentiator would be, okay, well, Cedric Mullins stole 30 bases last year, and that's the stat that's most in demand. In categories leagues, right? Not that Teoscar Hernandez is a zero, but you know, he had 12 versus 30, you know? Uh, I think what makes it a close call, though, is the lineup context. Because even though Cedric Mullins, the only 30-30 guy in baseball last year, as a leadoff hitter, he scored only 91 runs, which on its own isn't a bad number, but when you consider the numbers he put up where he was batting in the line, it's like only 91 runs. Right. And then he drove in 59. He had less than twice as many RBI as home runs. And I, I don't see the Orioles lineup being much better this year. Obviously, Teoscar Hernandez in the Blue Jays lineup, I mean, sky's the limit in terms of the, the runs and RBI he could deliver. So I think I still lean Cedric Mullins, but it, he, he's been a... He's been a player that I haven't been as enthusiastic about drafting in recent weeks as I was early on. Yeah, he's someone that's been slowly dropping down ADP, Cedric Mullins is. And, you know, I, I've been kind of wary of him all offseason, Scott. He was originally in my bus 1.0. He overperformed his expected stats on StatCast, and he did regress in the second half. He had a lot of infield fly balls in that second half. It's something that Cedric yeah. Mullins has struggled with throughout his entire major league and minor league career. So there are just a few yeah. things there that I worry about. And of course, the lineup context, like you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, I actually, I think Cedric Mullins is good. I'm pretty confident he's good. You mentioned he took a step back in the second half. It, he hit 260 instead of 300 or whatever. And and like for the power and speed he's going to provide and continued to provide in the second half, I think 260 is fine. But but yeah, I, I mean, that, I don't know. It, Somebody pointed out to me once when we were having a conversation about Cedric Mullins, the fact he had only 59 RBI last year, and I guess I hadn't really considered that before, hadn't noticed it, and it's it. that's what really changed my thinking. Uh, all right, so you're still going Cedric Mullins regardless of format, but it's close. Yeah, I think so. All right, let's move on to the Boston Red Sox 
Now teammates, you might have to make this decision. Xander Bogarts at pick 39.2 and Trevor Story at 39.8. So nearly going identical. Of course, Xander Bogarts shortstop eligible. Trevor Story going to gain second base eligibility. So he'll have both second base and shortstop. Uh, Scott, something that you've referenced many times, Xander Bogarts fell off a little bit in the second half last season. Overall, it was still a fine season for him. 295 batting average, 23 homers, 90 runs scored, only five seals. Uh, and then Trevor Story, you know, uncharacteristic down season for him as well. Maybe, you know, playing for the contract kind of got in his head a little bit, but 251, 24 homers, still provided 20 steals and finds himself in a pretty good landing spot here with the uh, Boston Red Sox in Fenway. So who would you rather have Bogarts versus Story? You know, I don't mean to split the baby here, but I think I'm going to go Story and Roto and, and Bogarts and points. Is that a real saying, Scott? Or did you just make that up? Split the baby? Yeah, I've never heard it. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know if I used it right, but... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's. I, I just want to make sure the rankings back up what I said. And of course they don't. <sighs> yeah, no, I've struggled with that range of the shortstop rankings all along because I don't think... like Xander Bogarts earns high marks for consistency, but I don't think he really stands out from the shortstop crop all that much. And um, yeah, obviously I was concerned about story leaving Colorado and I, I, I still think that's a consideration, but Fenway does seem well suited for him. And it's, it's it, it also has the effect of boosting Babip because you get a lot of cheap hits off the green, green months. It's, and then it's very, it's an expansive outfield and right center. Uh, kind of like Coors Field is expansive, so you get some hits that drop in there. Uh, and, and you know, he's going to provide steals in a way Bogarts won't. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say story over Bogarts in 5x5. In five five. Okay, but Bogarts in points leagues. Yeah, I play disciplines, I think, enough to set him apart there. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, it was still strong last year. 10% walk rate, 18.7% strikeout rate for Xander Bogarts. I think your explanation, Scott, is perfectly fine. I think in points leagues, I'm with you. I would go with Bogarts. And Trevor Story, look, it's hard to find someone that has 2020 upside. Um, even if you, I think if you look at what he did last year, like that's a pretty fair baseline, 250, 25-ish home runs, 20 seals. And maybe even builds off the batting average a little bit. Again, playing now in Fenway. So uh, I would take Trevor Story in Roto Category Leagues as well. Let's move over to starting pitcher here, Scott. And this one is kind of interesting because obviously Zach Wheeler, you know, still kind of working his way back from the shoulder injury. But um, the news has been good for him. So Julio Arias with an ADP of 27 versus Zach Wheeler with an ADP of 28.2. I believe they went $1 apart in the draft that I did. Um on Monday night as well. I think it was 23 for Wheeler and $24 for Julio Arias. Scott, who would you rather have between those two? Wheeler. Wheeler. Yeah. I, I, for me, the shoulder is a non-issue. It, it hasn't hurt. It hasn't, it hasn't actually hurt for him since December. I think that's part of what's getting lost in the Wheeler conversation. He's just behind because of it. He had to stop throwing, doing his usual throwing in the off season and uh, has since started to throw again. So, I, I mean... Before there was any mention of that shoulder issue, he was going at least a round ahead of Julio Arias. There's more strikeout potential there. And, um, you know, obviously he threw a lot more innings than Arias last year. Could that number come closer if, if he's held 
if he's limited early on, I, I guess it could come closer, but I, I don't see Julio Arias approaching 215 innings the way Wheeler was able to last year. Yeah. And I, look, I'm with, I would take Zach Wheeler as well. I think I recently moved him back ahead of Julio Arias in the rankings. I just, I never find myself drafting Arias, Scott. Like, have you drafted him really at all this offseason? And I think he's a talented pitcher. We've been waiting for this breakout for years. It's finally happened, but now he's like in the third rounds of drafts. So do you ever actually draft Julio Arias? Yeah, I have before. I, I don't have him, I think, in a league we're actually playing out, but in mocks and, and, and such, never a high priority for me. And, you know, usually it comes down to Alcantara versus Arias, and I prefer Alcantara. So, right. But if, someone, if I happen to be drafting behind somebody else who also prefers Alcantara, you know, typically this year I've been beginning my drafts regardless of the scoring form, and I've, beginning, I've been beginning them hitter-hitter in the first two rounds. Not always, but that's my preference given how the player pool shakes out this year. So I'm, I'm, I'm often looking to draft a pitcher in round three. Not always, but often. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm a little surprised I haven't gotten more Arias considering. But usually there's, you know, lately there's been Wheeler who's lasted until there, until then. Uh, and, and Alcantara, like I said, is often there as as well. All right, let's talk about some second baseman here, Scott. Cattell Marte has an ADP of 77, and Jorge Polanco going just three picks after him at pick 80.2. Cattell Marte actually signed a five-year, $76 million contract extension with the Arizona Diamondbacks, which... Honestly, it's probably not the best for his long-term value, but uh, he has succeeded there You know, in spite of the venue and the lineup that he's a part of. Last season for Cattell Marte, 318 batting average, 14 homers, 52 runs, 50 RBI, and just 90 games. Injuries have been an issue. Jorge Polanco, he was awesome last year. and I, I think an underrated aspect is that he was awesome back in 2019 as well. So the last two full seasons for Polanco, he's finished 24th and 57th overall, respectively. So he's been pretty damn good. Scott, what do you think? Cattell Marte versus Jorge Polanco? I think I'll go Cattell Marte here. I, I just think the ceiling is, is much higher, and Chris has spelled it out many times before. Uh, in terms of expected batting average, you won't find anybody with a higher mark. You won't find many people with a much higher mark than Cattell Marte has. And, you know, I, I don't trust Polanco to hit 33 home runs again. I, I think more realistically, mid to high 20s is what we're looking at from him. And Cattell Marte should be about there too if he manages to stay healthy. So, yeah, I'd rather go Cattell Marte. And I do want to mention, because since you brought up the contract, he was buying, uh, the Diamondbacks were buying out years of a previous team-friendly deal Cattell Marte had signed. They had team options through 2024. Uh, that the, the highest among them was only 10 million. So, so yeah, I mean, that, that was kind of factoring into the negotiation too. And, and I think two total years got added for like $40 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, maybe it, you're like, why didn't he sign for that much? Well, that's part of the reason. All right. Um, 
Cattell Marte, yeah, he just has to stay on the field. So he only played 90 games last year, as I mentioned, but on a per-game basis, 3.2 fantasy points per game last season. That's a great mark. It was tied for seventh at the second-base position. You mentioned the expected batting average. 307, 98th percentile, just awesome for Cattell Marte. So uh, stay healthy, and I, I do think the ceiling is higher uh, as well. Uh, Polanco leaned all the way into like this pull-heavy fly ball approach, and it worked well for him. It's just, can he maintain that power production? You know, I do have some question marks. So uh, better batting average and potentially similar power for Cattell Marte and Jorge Polanco this season. Next up, we have another starting pitcher battle here. Scott Carlos Rodon, who has an ADP of 90.8 and has been on the rise now with the San Francisco Giants, of course. Going up against Alec Manoa, one of the young guns, one of the hype guys in the industry, right? Manoa, McClanahan, Trevor Rogers, Dylan Cease. Those are like the four young starting pitchers that seem to be elevated around the industry. Uh, Scott, who would you rather have, Carl Sordan or Alec Manoa? Okay, so I'm going to do a little... I don't often engage in this exercise, but I'm going to do a little player A, player B right now. Okay? okay. You ready for this? You ready for this? I'm ready. <laughs> so player A... Last year had a 2.37 ERA, a .96 WHIP, 12.6 K per nine, 2.37, .96, 12.6. That's player A. Player B last year had a 2.43 ERA, a .94 WHIP, 12.6 K per nine. So 2.43, versus 2.37. 0.96, 12.6. Hard to tell those players apart, right? Right. Player A was Carlos Rodon. Player B was Corbin Burns, the NL Cy Young winner. Oof. So, I mean, like, there aren't... I, I'm not sure there's a pitcher whose who's stats come closer to what Burns did last year than, than Rodon. I mean, obviously, Jacob DeGroms were awesome, but he was injured for half the year. Um, I, I think given that Rodon has come into spring training hitting 98 again after experiencing that dip in velocity last September, that alleviates a lot of the concerns I had and, and kind of uh, does away with that pessimistic ranking I had for him initially. I, I almost think I haven't ranked too low, frankly, because Carlos Rodon is legit. He really. So, yeah, definitely going with him over Manoa. Hey, look, Rodon, I don't think there's any question of. I mean, the talent, what he did last year, he finished as a top 12 starting pitcher in Roto despite throwing just 132 and two-thirds innings pitched. Think about that. He was a top 12 pitcher with that um, uh, inning total. Uh, and he was top 12 in terms of fantasy points per game as well. So, like, there's no doubting. The talent, the numbers that Carlos Rodon put up last year, it's just a matter of can he stay healthy for a full season? Uh, and, you know, he's kind of betting on himself to do that. I, I think there's some kind of clauses involved in his contract where... If he hits a certain amount of innings, um, it activates like the second year for however much money it is. But basically, betting on himself and, and and trying to you know hit that total again, at least 130 innings this upcoming season for Rodon. Uh, Scott, your overall thoughts though on Manoa? I, I feel like I I haven't heard much from you about him. You know, this off season. Uh, I think obviously he's a mountain of a man. He's a huge human being. He throws hard. He's got this nasty slider, but. He's kind of got like the two-pitch thing going on. He's got two fastballs, a four-seam, a sinker, and then he's got the slider. But I kind of worry if, if, is that enough? Is that enough for Manoa to, to be successful? I think it's enough. 
and he was pitching pretty deep into his starts last year. Sure. Remember, he was he he first popped on our radar last spring because like he kept facing the Yankees and was just they couldn't touch him, and it more or less continued once he arrived in the majors. Now, I, I so I would say I would say Alec Manoa is my favorite of the sophomore, the exciting sophomore pitchers, which includes like Trevor Rogers and, and Shane McClanahan. I definitely like Manoa the most of that group, but there is reason for concern with all of them. And I think the reason for concern with Alec Manoa is that, um, well, his XFIP was 417. He puts the ball in the air a lot and yet averaged less than a home run per nine last year. So did he have good home run luck? Maybe. I mean, I, I, I think, I think he could, he, he may just be one of those pitchers who uh, allows a lot of weak fly balls um, his XERA, for what it's worth, was only 332, and that's measuring quality of contact in a way XFIP doesn't. But to be consistent, I, I prefer XFIP normally, and, and his was over four last year. So we'll see if he can do that again, or, or maybe if he gets those ratios so that it's not so fly ball heavy, maybe he can take a step forward that way. The walk rate was also a little high, but that's, you know, for a pitcher who misses, a young pitcher who misses so many bats, that's a. Uh, that's kind of par for the course. But overall, you know, I'm pretty excited about Alec Manoa. I just think there are usually, you know, usually I'm in the range he's going. I'm looking at a draft like a Carlos Rodon or a Justin Verlander. I'd, I'd rather get somebody a little more proven who still has scintillating upside in his own right. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. There's a lot of pitchers going in that range that you like. I think, I think Charlie Morton versus Manoa is actually pretty close in ADP, uh, though, obviously... Morton has been on the rise as well. Uh, actually, no. Morton is 71.8. Manoa is 91. All right. So I just lied. Don't, don't listen to anything I just said. Uh, the last one here I wanted to mention. Third base. Let's say you miss out on Devers and Machado. You miss out on Chris Bryant in the mid-rounds. You find yourself just waiting and waiting. And then you get to a round pick 140. And you've got Justin Turner versus Matt Chapman. And Scott, I feel like this is a classic case of safety, high floor, versus potential upside in Matt Chapman if he's healthy this year, obviously in a much better environment now with the Toronto Blue Jays. What do you think, Turner versus Matt Chapman? Yeah, I go Matt Chapman. I Oof. go Matt Chapman in, in the hopes that he, uh, another year removed from that torn labrum in his hip, surgery to repair it, that he, he's he's got the strength back in his lower body. He's able to uh, drive the ball like we're used to seeing and... The strike. He he's made this case himself. He he's he's saying all the right things, all the things you want to hear. Uh, and if that's the case, you know, a, a potential forty homer bat in that Blue Jays lineup. I mean, yeah, I, I think especially if you're talking like a twelve team context, I always go upside at that stage of the draft. I would say if it's fifteen teams or deeper, you know, you, you can't count on finding replacements on the waiver wire as easily. And then maybe you can't afford to take such a big risk. But I, even then, I still think in this particular case, I'd go Chapman over Turner. In the second half last season, the surface level numbers did not bear this out, but Matt Chapman was hitting the ball very hard. His barrel rate in the second half was sixth highest among qualified hitters. So he was putting the ball in the air. He was hitting it hard. The result's not necessarily there. He's got to cut down the strikeouts. Those have been a massive issue for Chapman even before this hip injury that he was dealing with. So let's get those strikeouts under control. And if that's the case, could um, 
do a lot of damage in that blue jeans. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what I read, but he he was he was explaining why the hip and, and obviously the hip started hurting before he had the surgery. He was explaining why the hip was responsible for the strikeouts, but I can't remember exactly how he connected those dots. All right, so just to recap, these ADP battles that we did, Scott's taking Matt Chapman over Justin Turner, Carlos Rodon over Alec Manoa, Cattell Marte over Jorge Polanco, uh, Zach Wheeler over Julio Arias, Xander Bogarts in points league, Trevor Story in roto and categories, and then Cedric Mullins over Teoscar Hernandez. All right, the moment you may have been waiting for. Maybe not everybody, but some people are. Our head-to-head points podcast league. Who will be the participants this Wednesday, March 30th at 9 p.m. Eastern time? There were obviously nine spots available because some young chaps, Scott White, Frank Sample, Chris Towers, already occupy the league. But nevertheless, here are the nine that will join the league. And I'll reach out to you after this podcast. I'll get your email addresses. I'll send you invites to the league, so on and so forth. And we'll have some fun. All right. So drum roll, please. Joel Woods, you are up first. I might butcher this name, but Anti-Jerison. I think that's how you say it. Mary Wilkes, Scott Wolf, Nick Waterbury, Garrett Hoff, Kevin Richardson, Jamie Campbell, and Neil Kaplan. If I just said your name, I will be reaching out, and we will get your email. We'll get you in the league. We'll have some fun. That draft again this Wednesday, March 30th, 9 p.m. Eastern time. That will be a live draft that we're doing here on the podcast as well. So make some content out of it, have some fun. And if you are still trying to join our other listener league, that is a 16-team headset categories league. That will be drafted the following Tuesday, next Tuesday, April 5th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. And we're still accepting submissions for that. So if you have a song, Photoshop, anything that you want to send in, maybe not anything, but you know, PG rated. Uh, Fantasybaseball at CBSI.com is the email address there. What's up, Scott? Are there are there any fun <laughs> songs or, or poems or anything to share from this first group? Uh, Kevin honestly, Richardson, Mary Wilkes, they come up with anything good? Yeah, they did. There was so much great stuff. And for those out there, I was talking to Scott beforehand. I legitimately have gone through every single submission. So I do appreciate them. There have there has been great stuff, great songs, great poems so far. Honestly. I had a really busy day, so I didn't set them up for today. I'll play them. I'll play them okay. on maybe like as the lead-in to the to the mock draft on, on Wednesday or maybe on tomorrow's podcast, but I will play them. There's a few songs. Uh, there was an awesome poem in there. I believe Mary was the one who sent in a poem, so uh, I'll, I'll get those ready for uh, our next podcast, and uh, I'll read those, and, and we'll have some fun there. And last but not least, we just hit 10K YouTube subscribers. Thank you so much for all the support, uh, and as a result... We are going to be giving away a free Fantasy Baseball Today hoodie. So if you are watching this or you are listening to this, hop on to the video version, comment, just leave your Twitter handle. Don't put the little at symbol because it kind of messes everything up in the algorithm, but just leave your Twitter handle and you will be eligible. I will choose one lucky person and we will uh, get in contact with you. I'll DM you on Twitter and then we'll send you an FBT hoodie as well. All right. There was a lot going on there, but thanks again. 10K YouTube subscribers. Nice little milestone. Let's take a quick break. Scott, when we return, we'll hit news and notes and then top prospects to stash here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so let's get into some news and notes. Luis Castillo and Mike Miner are both expected to open the season on the injured list with their respective shoulder injuries. And Charlie Goldsmith of the Cincinnati Inquirer reported that Nick Lodolo and Hunter Green are still battling for the opening day rotation. Scott, what do you think happens here with uh, those pitching prospects? Yeah, so I haven't been giving them that much of a chance of, of, of making the roster, uh, but... They're still in it, obviously, and and I think maybe I should. I was like I said earlier, I was putting together my top ten prospect stashes at the start of the year, so that requires me to make some judgment calls in in terms of who I think is going to make the major league roster because they wouldn't be stashes if they did, right? They'd just be contributors. And I decided to exclude Nick Lodolo and, and Hunter Green from consideration because I think it's a I think it's probably a 50-50 chance at this point. Maybe even better than that for Nick Lodolo, actually, uh, that they're on the opening day roster. Well, you know what? Green's the one on the 40-man roster right now, so maybe it's unfair for me to say that Lodolo has the better chance. Might be about equal for each of them. And I do wonder, you know, because when everybody's healthy, there's not room for both Lodolo and Green. So do they want to start something that they may not be able to see through the reds. I mean, I don't know, but at this point, I I think there's a good enough chance of them making the opening day roster that uh, I'm going to leave them out of the prospect stashes piece. In addition to like the uh, Phillies shortstop prospect, Bryson Stott, I think, you know, Alec Bohm coming off a bad year and, and hasn't done anything this spring either. It sounds like Stott has a chance even if he doesn't beat out Didi Gregorius at shortstop, he might make the team as the third baseman. I'm leaving out Julio Rodriguez. I'm leaving out Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green, who looks like you can pencil those two Tigers in. They appear to have the job, basically. So, you know, I don't know how much the... In the CBA, the the service time manipulation incentives that were worked in, they didn't sound like much. I wonder if they are having some kind of effect here because I feel like I feel like we're seeing more top prospects under consideration, serious consideration, and and not just you know, oh yeah, you know, not not just lip service, and and we all know how it's going to play out. But seriously, it looks like they could make the team. I feel like we're seeing a high number of those, and a usually high number of those for late in spring training. I wonder if maybe they're doing this because it was under such. Under a microscope, I feel like more than ever before, right? With all these CBA negotiations, and it was, you know, a very legitimate talking point. So maybe, maybe that is the case. Uh, Scott, if you just had to draft one of these guys for now, who would you rather take a shot on, Nick Lodolo or Hunter Green? 
I will say, I don't know. I mean, it's so close. <laughs> I'd rather take the shot on the one who I think has the job, but as I just pointed out, it's not so clear who that would, who would be the front runner there. I'll, I'll say Lodolo, I guess. All right. Pirates manager Derek Shelton planned to split the closer duties between David Bednar and Chris Stratton, which is exactly what we want to hear for a team that's projected to win, <laughs> I don't know, 65 <laughs> games this upcoming season. So, uh, uh-huh. Scott, I mean, what do you take away from this? Because, look, Bednar is the better pitcher, but we, we all kind of uh-huh. thought that, you know, with arbitration, maybe they'll kind of limit him a little bit so that, you know, he doesn't have to get as, get paid as much. I don't know. It's messy, man. And they're on a bad team. I kind of just want to steer clear of all of it now. Yeah. Now, I mean, does split mean 50-50? Because they split after Richard Rodriguez was traded last year. It was a 70-30 split, though, in favor of Stratton. So I don't know if it's just going to keep going that way. And look, there, there's always a chance, I would even say the likelihood, that even if a manager, even if it starts out as a split role, the manager gets comfortable using one in one situation and another in another situation. And it becomes not a split role anymore. But, but I hear you. Yeah, bad team. One of those relievers is is not really closer caliber to begin with. So, it's it's kind of there with, uh, I guess you know I. The Tigers situation, I'm not sure that's ever going to be one guy versus the other. So, I don't know. I guess I put the Pirates situation on equal footing with that one where there is still some hope for clarity at some point, but the Tigers are fringe contenders and the Pirates aren't. Yeah, look, if you're drafting just one of them, David Bednar is the name to draft because I think the ratios will be better. There will be more strikeouts and... If it's a split, you're at least hoping it's you know a 50-50 split and maybe even better in favor of David Bednar. So if you're drafting one, it's Bednar. If you're in a really deep league, you know you could target Chris Stratton very, very late in your drafts. Evan Longoria will undergo surgery on Tuesday to repair a ligament in his right index finger. And Rasta Resource now has Wilmer Flores penciled in to start at third base for the Giants, though they have a lot of names on the bench. Uh, Tyro Estrada, Mauricio Dubon... So, I don't. There's not. Tommy Lastella just returned to the lineup in spring training. Is there anything to see here, Scott, with this injury? I mean, how into Evan Longoria were you? It doesn't (laughs) sound like it's going to be a long term absence, but um, part of the reason I couldn't get that excited about, hey, look at how high he ranks in average exit velocity and hard hit rate, and he's among the top 10, is is just because, like, I just, I don't know how much he's going to be in the lineup, really. You know, he wasn't. Yeah, he hasn't been much the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same issue for him and Brandon Belt. I, I like Brandon Belt, the player. He's, he was awesome last year when he was on the field. It's just how much is he going to be on the field? It, those are legitimate questions. Andrew Vaughn will miss one to two weeks after being diagnosed with a hip pointer injury. My man. Unfortunately, Luis Arias will begin the regular season on the 10-day IL with that strained left quad. The Braves... Scott, I saw this today, are leaning towards using a six-man rotation early on in the season. They have 14 games in 14 days before their first off day. So mm-hmm. I guess they're leaving open the possibility of Spencer Strider or Tucker Davidson being involved there in a six-man. Yeah, I mean, I'm rooting hard for Spencer Strider. I think he's the long shot, but I think he's the the upside play. His swinging strike rate in the minors last year was... Jacob DeGrom levels. I know he was 
he was getting the pinch pitching ninja hype on Twitter this afternoon. He made a start. Look, the stuff looked great. He he walked two and two and a third innings. So is he ready to to step into a big league rotation yet? Maybe not. I mean, he started out at low A last year and then made it all the way up to the majors by the end. Uh, but definitely, definitely keeping an eye on Spencer Strider at least. And you know, if it if if they do start out with a six man rotation, that means the competition is going to continue for those first two. Th- Two turns through, anyway. Chris Archer signed a one-year, $3.5 million deal with the Twins. He was very bad last year. 4.66 ERA, 1.34 whip. The velocity on the fastball was down two miles per hour. Christian Javier, uh, if you were excited about him potentially being in the rotation, doesn't sound like that will be the case, uh, as he's expected to start in the bullpen. And I guess that means Jake Odorizzi will be the fifth starter uh, to open the season for the Houston Astros. Oh, I almost fell out of my chair. What just happened? <laughs> that was that was scary. Uh, yeah, you know, honestly, these these like office chairs, Scott, that like roll around and stuff, they could mm. be a little scary, you know, if you lean back too far. So, all right, I got to take it easy. I'm good now. Albert Pujols is coming home. He signed a one-year, two and a half million dollar contract, and will likely be a DH platoon partner with Corey Dickerson for the Cardinals. Uh, so. I don't know, not really much to see there. Maybe NL only leagues. Padres reliever Luis Garcia has been shut down from throwing due to a side issue. And Justin Upton started at first base on Monday. And Scott, I'm wondering if that could lead to a platoon with uh, Jared Walsh. So, you know, another reason to, you know, we already don't like Jared Walsh much for fantasy this season and mm-hmm. could lose playing time as a result of that. Yeah, we haven't talked about it to the extent we have like Jesse Winker, but. Jared Walsh's platoon splits were pretty terrible last year. Oh, yes. And, you know, we, Joe Madden was actually talking about it, about the the possibility of platooning him. And it sounds like, yes, that's something they're thinking about doing, but also that they want to give him another chance first two. So I don't know. I don't know exactly what that looks like if if he's sitting against tougher left-handers at the start of the year, but also starting against some and maybe earning at bats against more as the season plays out, maybe losing at bats. If uh if Justin Upton appears to be able to handle first base and is productive somewhat at the plate. So yeah, it's another risk factor for Walsh as if there wasn't enough already. All right, some spring training performances I wanted to mention. Ryan Presley threw a clean inning on Monday. His fast his fastball was down almost three miles per hour. Slider was down four miles per hour compared to last year. Apparently, he's a slow starter. A few people pointed that out to me on Twitter. Just something to keep in mind. Let's watch Ryan Presley's velocity moving forward. Another uh, pitcher velocity to pay attention to. Noah Syndergaard made his spring debut. He allowed one run over three and two-thirds innings with four strikeouts. Jeff Fletcher, who covers the Angels, said that Syndergaard's fastball was 93 to 95 miles per hour in the start. Back in 2019, his last full season, Syndergaard averaged 97.7 with the fastball, Scott. So does this maybe knock off some of the the sleeper appeal, I guess, for, for Noah Syndergaard? Yeah, he's already going so late. He's going the last of the the trio coming back from Tommy John surgery. I mean, Justin Verlander is as well, but you know, I think of it as more of a trio because I have so few doubts about Luis, uh, about Justin Verlander. It's Luis Severino, Mike Clevenger, and Noah Syndergaard. And Syndergaard's already going the last of that group. He has good secondary pitches, 
and the results have been good. I know this was his Cactus League debut, but the results, uh, I, I guess he pitched a minor league game earlier. The results were good in that one, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's always the possibility that he's not going 100% here during spring training. So I think there's enough risk already baked into his price that I'm not freaking out about this. But it's not optimal. I'd rather him be averaging 97 right now, for sure. Yep. Uh, Noah Syndergaard, the ADP is 192.4, so he is going very late in drafts right now. Julio Rodriguez went two for two with a double, a walk, an RBI, and a stolen base. I was watching this game. He looks ready, man. I don't want to overreact, but the yeah. at-bats that I saw, he he was just composed. Pitch recognition looked like it was there. He showed off some plate discipline with the walk that he had. He had a double. It was like a frozen rope. He lasered to the outfield, then stole a base once he got on. I don't know. He looks ready, man. <laughs> There's a lot to like there with Julio Rodriguez. Marlins pitching prospect, Edward Cabrera, threw three no-hit innings with three strikeouts on Monday. And according to Dro, uh, Joe Frisaro, Cabrera was averaging 97 to 99 miles per hour with a fastball in this start. He's someone I know Chris has talked about quite a bit. So let's watch what happens with him. Last one I wanted to mention, Glaber Torres. The past couple of seasons have been brutal for Glaber Torres. He, he's having a good spring so far. So he's 8 for 19, two homers, one steal. You know, maybe if he can refine some of that glory that we saw back in 2019, he could be a steal where he's going in draft. So let, let's just see how uh, Glaber Torres closes out the rest of the spring. All right, Scott, you mentioned a bunch of prospects earlier who you did not include in this article. Article that you have coming out top 10 prospects to stash. These are prospects that you don't think are going to be on the opening day roster. However, I did want to quickly take a look at some of those names. We spoke about Julio Rodriguez just now. We mentioned him on yesterday's uh, Sleeper podcast. You want to look at some of the names that I do think are going to be on the Major League roster that I excluded from consideration in my article, just to be clear. Correct. Yes. Um, And I just wanted to quickly bring up their ADP. So Julio Rodriguez, again, 262.4. Scott, you're all over it. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I think he's got the job. I'll be surprised at this point if he is not named to the opening day roster. And you know, that's kind of reading between the lines from some of the some on the Mariners beat and and from some comments from Scott Service and Jerry Depoto. But as you said, Frank, I mean, he looks ready and he's that caliber of prospect that you expect to reach the majors at age 21 and and skip AAA and and all of that. So, yeah, I am I'm thinking he's a great value. All right. The two Tigers prospects that you expect to break camp with the team. Spencer Torkelson has an ADP of 231. Riley Green down at 299.6. Scott, what do you think about the respective costs for those two? I think they're still on the low side. I'm surprised there's such a separation between Torkelson and Green. Torkelson is a more... uh, I guess polished, patient hitter. You know, I worry a little bit more about the strikeouts with Green, but it's not like he's raw. You know, it's not like it's Jazz Chisholm. And in fact, his hit tool is considered his best tool. He also brings a speed element that that Torkelson doesn't. So I think I think Riley Green should be drafted about the same range as Joe Adele, maybe just a little after Adele. And Torkelson should go a little earlier than the two of them, but not that much. All right, the Tampa Bay Rays, Shane Boss, someone who collectively we were 
I guess as an industry excited about just based on the stuff, right? He looked awesome last year when he pitched, but just recently underwent arthroscopic surgery to remove loose bodies from his right elbow. They say that he's going to be ready to throw in two to three weeks. I'm not sure how much I buy that, Scott. I think they're going to be pretty cautious with him, uh, but the ADP has been dropping 154.6 for Shane Boz. Yeah. Um, are you still taking him there or do you need him to slip further in order to you know stash him to start the season? Think I moved him. I think I moved him to about that range. Yeah, uh, it might take me a minute to pull up because it's hard to just hear a number out of the blue and know exactly what range that is. Uh, but Shane Boz, I moved him to one sixty fifth, so a little behind that. Okay, it's it's pretty close though. Uh, the next one up, you mentioned Bryson Stott. Scott, I mean, he is having an awesome spring. He went three for three on Monday at. at I think he's batting something like 500. He's been awesome so far. He's playing shortstop. He's playing third base. He had an awesome AFL, Arizona Fall League. Uh, remember, we had the Welsh on in the offseason, and, and he was raving about Bryson Stott as well. I just I, I wonder if they're actually going to give him a shot out of the gate, right? Like, what does that look like? Is that just, you know, benching Didi Gregorius or Alec Bohm? Yeah, or maybe even sending Bohm to the minors. Sure. I think they, I think... I think he's kind of broken right now. And obviously they don't want to give up on that potential, but he's looked pretty awful this spring after struggling all of last season. And then now they have Stott doing what he's doing in spring training. Stott might profile similarly in terms of expected production, like good plate discipline guys should get on base a lot. Is the power going to be, better than average. You know, he 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 might threaten for 20 to 25 home runs, but he might fall short of that too. And um you know, if that's the case, how valuable is he going to be in fantasy? I, I don't know. I I don't I don't think he's going to like break the break into the top 12 as shortstop or anything, not given the current state of the position, but he should be he should be useful. Yeah, in leagues where you start a middle infielder, he definitely could have value in those. So, you know, well, typical. And, and then if he makes the team at third base, which seems like the more likely scenario, obviously True. he'll be picking up eligibility there. So, I don't know, maybe, uh, I, and I'm not particularly high on DJ LeMahieu, but maybe that's the range I'd draft Stott. You know, maybe maybe target him about like you guys were targeting Luis Arias before, which I wasn't in favor of, but Stott... I don't know. I, I like that a little more for Stott. All right, let's get into your top 10 prospects to stash. And again, these are the names that you're not expecting to be on the opening day roster for their respective teams. And O'Neill Cruz, Scott, is someone we've talked about all spring. He's flashed this easy power, and he's a gargantuan human being, six foot seven, shortstop, playing a little bit of outfield. So they're trying to find ways to get him in the lineup. Man, when he comes, uh, to the roster, it seems like he's going to be he's going to provide power and speed from from day one. Yeah, yeah, and, and obviously he made headlines this spring with both of the home runs he hit. They were both about ankle high, and he <laughs> still sent them out of the park with ease. I've mentioned before, uh, Baseball America released their top one hundred lists. Uh, us, you know, just as a separate article, the top one hundred with the average exit velocity for each hitter. O'Neill Cruz is far and away at the top of that list, 94 miles per hour average exit velocity. I don't think anyone else 
And the entire top 100 is higher than 91. And then you have O'Neill Cruz at 94. Uh, and he, he stole bases at an even better rate than he hit home runs in the minors last year. I don't know if that's going to translate, but he's at least fast enough to run. Uh, so, yeah, they'll send him down to the minors. Maybe he comes back as an outfielder, maybe as a shortstop. But in any case, I don't think it'll be long. And I think the rewards will be well worth the stash. All right, let's talk about Adley Rutschman, the top catcher prospect for the Baltimore Orioles. And he's got an ADP of 216.6. He was awesome last year. Really, really strong plate discipline as well, in addition to a hit tool and power, which should play well, obviously, uh, with the Orioles. Kind of wish that they didn't move the, the fences back, but uh, should be fine regardless here. Scott, I, where do you find yourself drafting Rutschman, if anywhere? Because I feel like when we talked about him this offseason, it's like if you draft him in a two-catcher league, you either have to start him and just take a zero for one of your catcher spots, or you have to have three catchers on your roster. And I don't know that you want to do that. And then if yeah. you draft him in a one-catcher league, where you know typically you have shorter benches, you know, you, mm-hmm. you might... You might want like pitchers with upside and like in like a head-to-head points league, for example. So, where, if anywhere, do you see yourself drafting Adley Rutschman? So I'm thinking this list is not particularly relevant to anybody whose league is smaller than like 300 players rostered. So the standard 12 team, 21 man roster for a head-to-head points league, like we do, is 252 players rostered. Maybe the top one, O'Neill Cruz, deserves to be stashed away in that format, but I'm not sure anyone else on this list does. There's just too many good players to fill too few roster spots, you know, to 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 devote one to uh, somebody who you won't be using till who knows when, you know. Uh, but usually, when we're talking a 12-team roto league, we're like that's like 360 players rostered, and if you're talking about a 15-team roto league, that's 450 players rostered. Or somewhere in that neighborhood, anyway. It depends how many bench slots you have. And then it becomes, you know, it becomes much more possible. It becomes much more doable, much more advisable to, to stash away some upside for later. So I would say Roto Leagues or any... Roto Leagues or maybe deeper head-to-head leagues are where I'm looking to stash Rushman or, or anyone that follows him on this list. All right, let's take a look at Jose Miranda, who is a... Third base prospect by trade for the Twins, but they don't really know exactly where he's going to play defensively yet. He could play second base. You know, maybe they just move him around a little bit. He's a utility guy. Last year, fantastic for the Minnesota Twins in the minors, of course. 344 batting average, 30 home runs, a 973 OPS for Jose Miranda. Scott, I mean, what's the latest? What do you have here? Because I, I feel like after the trade went down with. Isaiah kind of for Leffa and uh, Josh Donaldson. You know, there was some optimism. Where are you at now with Jose Miranda? Well, then they signed Carlos Correa. So of course, that, yeah. <laughs> that put it into that because it, obviously Miranda wasn't going to play shortstop, but he could have taken over at second base with Jorge Polanco going to shortstop or at third base with Gio Urshela going to shortstop. Now that's not going to happen, but he is one break away from break again, basically, I think. Uh, he's already mastered AAA, at least offensively. He's, you know, at the right age for a call-up. It's going to happen sooner than later, and I don't know where he's going to wind up. Maybe he's just a DH, because defensively, you know, that's clearly what's holding him back. But the good news is, no matter where he winds up, he's ar- already locked in at third base in terms of eligibility this season, and that's the position where we need Jose Miranda the most. 
All right, let's take a look at the first pitcher on this list, and that is Mackenzie Gore with the San Diego Padres, who, look, as recently as last year, he was still one of the top pitching prospects in baseball, and then... The top pitching prospect, I would say. Yeah, and then basically just fell apart. I mean, mechanics last season, I velocity was all over the place. I think he had the yips. Like, there was a lot going on with Mackenzie Gore last year, and now he showed up to camp, He's made two spring training starts. He's allowed one hit over five scoreless innings with seven strikeouts to zero walks, apparently pumping upper 90s as a left-handed pitcher here. I actually forgot. I drafted him as well in that 15-team salary cap draft, uh, which I mentioned earlier. So I have him and O'Neill Cruz, two players on this list. So uh, there's a lot to like, Scott. I just I don't know if they're going to push him for that fifth starter job right out of the gate. Probably not, and that's why I have him on the stash list here. Yeah. I, I think if they hadn't made a four-year commitment to Nick Martinez coming over from Japan, I believe it is, uh, this offseason, if they hadn't committed four years to him, they, they kind of need to give him a shot in the rotation now. Uh, but if they hadn't done that, Gore might be the front runner for that fifth starter job because like, he was thought to be on the cusp heading into 2020, the the pandemic-shortened season. Apparently, that's when the troubles began and... and there was no minor leagues like we already talked about that season. So it was all happening behind the scenes and everyone was wondering, why isn't Gore here yet? And then we found out last year that he was a mechanical mess. But yeah, he looks he looks like he's fixed now and, and the upside is still evident. So, you know, as soon as an opening develops in that Padres rotation, I think I think Gore steps into it. All right, let's move on to Nolan Gorman, who is a second-base prospect for the St. Louis Cardinals. And, Scott, I mean, does an, an injury need to take place here, or do you think it's as soon as, let's say, Paul DeYoung just gets off to an awful start, maybe they move Tommy Edmond over to shortstop, something like that, and they call up Nolan mm-hmm. Gorman. How do you think he gets to the Cardinals this season? Well, he was in play for the DH spot initially, but he did not put his best foot forward this spring. He str- struck out in, like, half his at-bats so far. And then, of course, they signed Albert Pujols. So it looks like they have a plan for DH now. It doesn't include Gorman. But I think I think once he proves that he's ready, and he finished strong at AAA, like he's kind of gone through this thing every step up the minor league ladder where he gets to a new level, and he struggles, he's striking out a bunch, and then he suddenly figures it out and gets hot, and then they quickly move him to the next level. It's why his minor league numbers, if you look at them, they're they're kind of underwhelming. It's it's just because like once he catches fire at a level, they move him up to the next one, and that's why he's on the cusp of the majors here at 21 years old. But you know he's he's going through that now in in spring training, the same initial struggles. So they'll they'll, they'll send him back to AAA. Hopefully, since it's a return trip there, he dominates right away, and they're looking to get him back on the big league roster. And I think if that I think that could happen just by okay, Tommy Edmond, you're a super utility guy now. You know, it's not like it's not like Tommy Edmond is an indispensable part of the lineup. I mean, I know he's bats lead off for them, but it's not because he has amazing on base skills or anything. It's a good contact hitter who runs, but he's not somebody who has to be in the lineup every day if if they feel like they have a quality alternative. All right, let's take a look at some Royals here, Scott. Outside of Bobby Witt Jr., who is regarded as one of, if not the top prospect in baseball, along with Julio Rodriguez. But his soon-to-be teammates, 
MJ Melendez and Nick Prado. Uh, MJ Melendez, a catcher with a ton of power. Nick Prado, a first baseman, also hits for power, can sneakily steal a few bases as a first baseman as well. Uh, and honestly, both of these guys, Scott, were having awesome springs so far, too. I saw they were just reassigned to minor league camp on Monday afternoon. But MJ Melendez, 7 for 17 with a double, a home run, uh, two walks to four strikeouts. And then Nick Prado was... Five for 15 with a triple, a homer, six walks, nine strikeouts. You don't love to see that. And a stolen base. Um, is it is this another case where as soon as these guys are ready, they just take over at first base and, I don't know, DH, respectively? I mean, you could argue they're ready now based on how they yeah. look this spring. And, and both of them put up huge numbers at AAA last year. They didn't start out at AAA, but once they got there, they continued to deliver and the Royals haven't been an organization that has held obvious that that has obviously has engaged in that sort of obvious service time manipulation that you see with other organizations and their top prospects. So I think what's happening here is just they want to give Carlos Santana another shot at first base. He was terrible last year, but they signed him to pretty big contract before then. And they're not ready to move, not entirely ready to move on yet. And of course, for, for MJ Melendez, there's the complication of, of Salvador Perez, the best catcher in baseball, is uh, plays the same position as him. So I think they're going to give MJ Melendez a little more exposure to third base, maybe some at first base, so that he can come up and, and fill in at the corners and at catcher and maybe some at DH. You know, whenever Melendez is catching, presumably Salvador Perez starts at DH. Uh, and, and then at some point, Nick Prado will join as well. And he could like, they, they may give him some reps like in right field. I know he's gotten some, some looks there already. And just to, just to make them both a little more versatile so that, uh, so, so that they aren't confined to using them in, in, in these spots where it may be harder to find at bats. So that, that's what, I, that's how I imagine the early season playing out. And I, I don't know how long, they're going to be able to hold those these two down. It may only be for the first two, two uh, three or four weeks, you know. And that's obviously why I think they're worth stashing away, waiting for them to come up. I never thought I'd say this, Scott, but it feels like we're about to enter a a time period where the Royals are. I have questions, serious questions about their pitching staff, but they might mm-hmm. just outslug everybody <laughs> with like all these prospects coming. They still have like some pretty decent bats on the roster now too, but. There's a yeah. lot of upside here in this lineup within, you know, really this upcoming season. Uh, so, and then we didn't even mention Vinny Pasquantino, who's, you know, coming shortly after those guys too. So a lot yeah. to like and, with and, this. And uh, a deep name, uh, Michael Massey, a second baseman. In, internally, they've, they've liked to compare him to Chase Utley. That, that's probably, <laughs> that's probably an exaggeration, but he's a mid twenties guy who was in the low a last year and put up like they, they overhauled their hitter development. Uh, staff I think heading into the 2020 season where there was no minor league ball because they were dissatisfied with the way hitters like Prado and Melendez were developing and clearly they've turned the corner as far as that goes so they have a lot of uh, they have a lot of hidden gems beyond these two in the Royals organization all right, Scott, talk to me about the last two names on this list, both from the American League East, Tristan Casas, a first-base prospect with the Red Sox, and Grayson Rodriguez, a starting pitcher with the Baltimore Orioles. A ton of swing and miss potential with him. Tristan Casas, I like, Scott, but 
it feels like the Red Sox really like Bobby Dahlbeck too, and they're trying to find ways to keep him in the lineup. They mentioned they could play him at like second base and move him around to the outfield and stuff. I don't know, but anyway, um, yeah, Tristan Costas and Grayson Rodriguez. Yeah, I mean they're exploring those options because obviously they know Tristan Costas is coming. True. Now, this is, begins the range where it's a little bit harder to justify stashing these prospects, even in even in some of those leagues where. 350, 360 players are rostered because the timetables are, you know, the others are basically about to break through the door already. And and I think Casas and Rodriguez, they still have, they still have to force the issue a little bit, but you know, they're at the right age, the right stage of development where, you know, they, they, they go on a hot streak down in the minors and people are going to be clamoring for them to get the call. Casas has been compared to like every stud first baseman of the past few years of Freddie Freeman comparisons. I've seen Joey Votto comparisons for him. Just a great all around hitter, uh, disciplined hitter and power beyond what the numbers say last year. Cause I think he hit, uh, what was the stat I pulled up for Casas? It's right here. So he had 14 home runs overall and 380 bats, but seven of his home runs came in his final 20 games. And then there were three additional home runs that came from his time in the Olympics. So it was actually 17 home runs in however many at bats, if you include the Olympics. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's great. And Grayson Rodriguez, arguably the best pitching prospect in baseball. I, I, I know his, he made, he made one start this spring and it didn't go well, but whatever. He'll be up soon enough. I did want to mention his teammate too, by the way, DL Hall, another pitching prospect. He dealt with some arm injuries last year, but he pitched on Monday through just one inning. He averaged 99 miles per hour with his fastball. That was on 11 fastballs that he threw. So serious gas from uh, DL Hall. I think we could see him at some point this upcoming season as well. Although not as much of a priority, not on this list. All right, Scotty. There you go. We got some prospects. We got some ADP battles. We're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.